Um, anyone know what this is? What? Telescope. Yeah, it's telescope. Some of you are like, la, 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 you know. Telescope. And um, what this object does is it allows us to see things. Woo! Oh, that's scary over there on that side. But uh, it allows us to see things that are miles and miles away, um, pretty up close. And uh, I love telescopes, and Jennifer and I have uh, enjoyed uh, being able to uh, kind of learn more about them. And uh, one of the things that we do is uh, we like to go visit skyscrapers. Actually, it's more my thing that I like than Jennifer's. But since we've been married, I've twisted her arm uh, to go to a lot of different skyscraper kind of observation decks to look out and to kind of see uh, different things. And uh, the first one, it was on our honeymoon, the very first one that we went to was this one here. And uh, anybody know what that is? What? Sears Tower. It's in Chicago. It was built in 1973. And for a very long time, it was the tallest building in the world. Now it's the tallest building in North America. And when Jennifer and I went there, you you go up this elevator and there's kind of this graphic that shows you how far you're going up. And we got to the top and we walked out and it was just a beautiful clear day. And we both went to a telescope that's similar to this and we began to start looking around. And we saw uh, Lake Michigan and we call, saw some people out there fishing and boats that were there. And so uh, that was really cool, miles and miles away. And then we looked down a little bit further and we saw Wrigley Field, home of the Cubs. If you're a Cubs fan, better luck, you know, next year. And um, they say that every year, don't they? <laughs> I'm going to get some comments this week. Anyway, um, so on this particular day, we got and we looked in the telescope and we could see Gary, Indiana. It was 30 miles away. And you can see those uh, big... Uh, you know, uh, smokestacks that are there. And so that's one of the places that we've been to. But you could see everything, and everything was large. Uh, a few years ago, we went to go uh, see this skyscraper. Anybody know what that is? The Empire State Building. For decades and decades, it was the tallest building uh, in the world. And uh, we went there, and we waited two hours downstairs even before you got up to the observation deck. It was like they were herding, you know, a whole bunch of little mice all the way around. Finally, we got to the elevator, we came up, and I mean, when we stepped out, it was wall-to-wall -wall people. They were all over the place. You couldn't even look around. And I told Jennifer, I go, I'm not going to go even look at anything because look at the line. She's like, yeah, let's don't do that. So we just kind of looked around real quick up top and we got back in the line to get on the elevator to go back down. It took us 45 minutes just to be able to get back down. And so we didn't see hardly anything. Now another experience that Jennifer and I had with these skyscrapers is that typically they're attraction points for newlyweds. You know, newlyweds love to come and be a part of that. And here's a couple that we've been to where we've seen newlyweds. Anybody know what that is? 
The Space Needle in Seattle, and here's the second one. St. Louis Arch, exactly. Well, you guys know your uh, observation skyscrapers. Well, one of the things that we've witnessed at both of these is newlyweds. And the experience is, it's pretty sickening. They get off the elevator, and they're in love. And they're looking at each other and go, Honey, do you want to look outside? And they go, Oh, no, 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 honey, do you want to? And they kind of go back and forth, and they're just holding hands. And typically what they do, they get close to where there are two of these together. And they're holding hands, and they're looking, you know, through to see everything. And typically it's the bride or the new bride that says something first, and she'll say something like this. She'll say, Oh, baby, can you see the ocean? And she says it that loud, okay? And then she goes, can you see the stadium? And can you see the aquarium? And everyone's like, would you shut up? We can see it all, you know? And pretty soon what you'll hear is the groom, and he'll say something like this. I can't see anything. I think this thing is broke. I think that what the problem is, is I just wasted 75 cents. And he's looking like this. And he's looking and looking, and he falls down a little bit. And uh, he looks through this, and she starts laughing at him. And she comes and she says, the problem is, you're looking through the wrong end. Now, each of you have a perspective. Everyone in this section, everyone here, everyone there, everyone in the back. You have a perspective. And you have a view in how you see God. Some of you see God and you believe in God like what I shared about the Sears Tower. You see God everywhere. You see how big and large He is. You see Him working in your life and He's all around. And that's what your perspective of God is. And there's others of you who are similar to the Empire State Building. You are so busy and have so much hecticness in your life that you don't have time to check God out. In fact, you're not even sure what you believe about God or if you believe in Him at all. And then finally, there are some of you who are like the groom in the observation deck who turned the telescope around. You believe in God, but if you were honest to yourself, what you'd have to say is that my God has shrunken a little bit. I've allowed God to become kind of little in my life. So I just want to ask you this morning, which view describes you? Is God big? Is God small? Is God non-existent in your life? Why do you believe, and what do you believe? Well, as I was studying this week, I had to ask myself this question. Why do I believe in God? Why does Chris Bunch believe in God? And the first thing that came to me, I believe in God because of the story of creation. The story of creation. Throughout school, I hated the subject of science. I mean, I just despised it. Maybe it's because I wasn't smart enough to figure everything out, but I just didn't like science. 
And so in high school, I took the remedial science classes because I didn't want to know any more than whatever the basic level kind of was. Well, when I went to college, they said, well, you have two degrees that you have to decide. Either you're going to get a BA, a Bachelor of Arts, or you're going to get a BS, a Bachelor of Science. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing that science thing, man. I'm just not going to do it. But then they tested us to see how good we were at a foreign language because you had to take, uh, if you got a BA, you had to take a foreign language. And I was like, well, I took two years of Spanish. This ain't going to be any problem, you know? So I took the little exam, and when I got ready to take it, they said, you need to take remedial Spanish. So what I would have had to do was take like four classes just to get my BA. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, bring the science on, you know? And I was thinking about the, this week that the initials, uh, you know, BS probably fit me a little bit better anyway. So, you know, that's just the way it is. So to receive a Bachelor of Science degree, what you had to do was you had to take three science classes. The first two science classes that I took, I did just like high school. I just kind of barely got through it. But the last science class was physical science and astronomy. And I loved this class. It talked about the intricacies and the unknown of planet Earth and all of the galaxies. I remember sitting there in that class, just soaking everything in and thinking, do all of you guys, did you know this before? Look how amazing this is. I mean, just think what you're hearing, guys. I mean, just think about it right now. You and I are sitting on a ball, okay? That's what we're doing. We're sitting on a ball, and it looks like this, planet Earth. And we're sitting on this ball, and the core of it is magna lava, and there is water that's covering it. And it's just suspended in air all by itself. And we're spinning thousands of miles of hour. And you're going, yeah, that's normal? Huh? That's not normal, folks. Do you spin, you know, spin like thousands of miles an hour? No, you don't. Some of you couldn't even hardly get out of bed today. I know you. I mean, just think about that. It's just been sitting there and spinning at the exact rate of speed forever and ever. And not only that, but it's flying around this ball of fire that we call the sun. And a ball of fire that's 1.3 trillion times our size. We're like this little, you know, speck flying around this huge ball of fire, 1.3 million times our size. We're flying around this thing at 67,000 miles an hour. Right now, that's what we're doing. We're flying 67,000 miles an hour. 93 million miles away, there is this little ball of, of fire, and Every once in a while, we wake up in the morning like today, and we go, boy, it's kind of cold. Or, you know, boy, it's kind of hot. What? It's a lot more than that, folks. A lot more. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you and I are flying 67,000 miles an hour. Right now we are. And we're not feeling a thing. 
But we go down to King's Island and we get on the teacups and I throw up, you know? It just doesn't make sense. Well, ever since college and learning those facts, I've learned to love to learn about earth and space and science. And it's fascinating to me. The Bible says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and His divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made so that people are without excuse. God says that ever since He made the world, He has shown off His invisible qualities, His divine nature. And He says, no one has an excuse not to believe in Me. I mean, when I look and I study creation, I just think to myself, it couldn't be an accident. It couldn't be. Every design has a designer. Let me say that again. Every design has a designer. I mean, a reasonable person, if they're looking for a wristwatch, they'll look down and look to see who made it, right? And if it's Timex, you buy it. If it's Rolex, you keep on walking, right? And every reasonable person, when they buy a computer, they want to know who made it. They don't want it to say, Joe's Computer Shop, right? You want it to say, Dell or Apple or IBM, something like that. And so it makes me wonder how a reasonable person could think that the earth or the sun or the moon or the stars or to look at the eagles or to look at whales or to look at human beings, the people beside you, how these marvels of the world, how any of them could just kind of be random accident, an explosion that happened and no one can intelligently describe it. I mean, it would take more faith to think that all of this happened accidentally than it does to believe that there's an intelligent design, a divine designer. You know, Jennifer and I, one of the things we love to do, we love to watch birds. We do a lot of bird watching. And uh, a lot of times, our favorite place to go is down in Florida at my uncle's. He's got a boat, and we go out in this boat, and we get to go down the St. John's River, and we get to see all these different magnificent birds. And it's kind of a competition. I think I know more than she does, and you know, it's kind of fun. And one of the birds that we really love to watch is the hummingbird. And uh, I did some research on the hummingbird this week, and uh, I wondered if you guys knew this. Did you know that the hummingbird can fly forward and backward and sideways and upside down? I mean, isn't that pretty cool? I mean, that bird can do all those things. Did you know that it flaps its wings a hundred times per second? Like one, there just went a hundred, just like that. Two, a hundred more. I mean, isn't that wild? And did you know that a heart beats 1,200 times per minute? 1,200 times a minute. And did you know that there are some particular kinds of hummingbirds that have two human-like qualities? One is they fly south for the winter, and two, the males, it only requires them three seconds to mate. Just... Uh, Just wanted you all to kind of know that, okay? Hey, it's just facts, okay? Facts are our friends. Well, I did all this research on the hummingbird, and I finally came to the point 
that I thought, you know, this wonderful creature and all of its complexity, that it just couldn't be accident or just pure chance. And I was convinced, one again, one, once again, that by creation, that's why I believe in God. Because creation is more reasonable to understand when you think of an intelligent designer behind it. So the next time that you're walking in the woods, or you're swimming in the ocean, or you're looking at the stars, or you go to the zoo, think about this question. Is it more reasonable to think that all of this was caused by an accidental explosion, or was it an intelligent designer, a God who put it all into being? He spoke, and it came into creation. Well, that's the first reason, the story of creation. The second reason is the story of other people, the story of others. You know, for me, though, as much as I love the, all the debates about creation and, and science, more than science or philosophical arguments or theological arguments, the one that makes most sense for me is when I hear the story about what God's done in other people's lives, how they've touched other people's lives, how God has come and helped them and somehow has convinced them that they can turn to Him and their life would be better. And it convinces me more and more when I hear the stories of other people. And today, I want you guys to hear a powerful story about someone in our midst, Mike King, who went from a belief system that was truly unbelievable. He had no belief to belief in God and choosing him to be Lord of his life. So if you would, uh, join me as we welcome Mike to the stage. Well, Mike, you're among friends, so uh, you can just talk to me. We're kind of family, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, why don't you just kind of begin, Mike, if you don't mind, uh, by telling me a little bit about yourself and um, maybe a little bit about your family, too. Well, Chris, um, I've been married 28 years to... Now, she don't want me to say this, my beautiful wife, so I won't say that. <laughs> uh, and I got two children, Heather and Rachel, uh, two grandkids, Brooke and Gage. Um, currently, I'm working in Portland at, a, at Stone Ridge. Okay. So, beautiful wife, couple kids, couple grandkids, work in Portland. Um, now, I know you didn't have much of a relationship with God, say, five years ago. So, can you kind of tell us what that relationship was like five years ago? Well, like you said, I didn't have much of one. Um, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, sang some songs, had a couple uh, religious experiences later in life. Can I just kind of interrupt? He told me this week, I thought this was so cool. He said, you know, I remembered that song, I Will Make You Fishers of Men, if you'll follow me. Some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but in Sunday school, they try to get you to do this song, and you have to do Fishers of Men. And he told me, he goes, dude, I always thought it was about fishing. Like, like getting fish. And he said, I was reading my Bible this week and I understood it. I thought, man, that's really cool. So that's kind of where we were in that way. And uh, what else was your life like then? I was drinking quite a bit. Uh, I even wrecked a 
car drinking one night at Grand Prix we just about had paid for. Uh, that really made Sandy happy. Uh, I didn't have much of a personal relationship with God. Uh, I was living for Mike, not for God. Yeah. Um, just like Mike, but you were doing it for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then something kind of changed in your life. About a year ago, uh, something devastating kind of happened, and I just wondered if you could tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, May of 2007, uh, Dr found a lump on my prostate. And I was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so I sit on the porch doing this all the time, me and Sandy. Uh, uh, think make things worse. Um, CT scan showed that it moved to my leg. So, uh, prostate cancer. Now we see that the cancer has moved uh, to your leg. I think you told me your left leg was was kind of where they found the first spot. And um, beyond cancer, though, I uh, I remember you telling me that things got even worse. Uh, why don't you tell about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I was worrying about trying to live. I got fired from my job. Okay. I didn't get a computer test done by June 30th, and I thought, well, once management hears my story, they'll say, well, go ahead and take that computer test. But no, they said, sorry about your health problems, Mike, but you didn't get that test done by June 30th. <laughs> so that kind of made things a little worse. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. You lose your job, you got cancer, it's spread to your bones, and um, I mean, this is heavy stuff. And uh, I was just wondering, uh, once you learned all this, what did you, what did you do? Well, kind of like that movie, The Bucket List, I made my own. Uh, things I wanted to do, I wasn't sure how much time I had left. <laughs> Went over to Beach Grove Cemetery to see if there was any space close to my mother. I took my granddaughter, Brooklyn, to Newcastle Park, feed the ducks. I wasn't sure if I'd see my, uh, my daughter was pregnant. I wasn't sure if I would see my grandson. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if I'd go to heaven. Because yeah. from your perspective, there wasn't much sense of, I know what's after this life. And you felt very alone. And I know you talked about your emotional state. Uh, just being totally uh, disconnected, you know, what's on the other side kind of thing. Well, you're at your darkest valley at this point, oh, and yeah. um, something kind of strange happened. Uh, some of your coworkers, I guess at this point they're your ex-coworkers, because <laughs> yeah. uh, you lost your job. Um, what did they do? Well, one gal uh, put me on a prayer list at her church, and another gal's mother put me on a prayer list at her church. And uh, my aunt put me on a prayer list at her church, so I had hundreds of people praying for me I didn't even know. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it would do me any good or not. Yeah. So these people are praying. You're thinking, yeah, I'll do anything at this point, but not really sure if it'll happen. Um, so what kind of happened next? Then? Well, they sent me down to IU Med Center to see if they could uh, do a bone biopsy to see where my cancer was in my leg. and. Uh, 
that big old long needle that goes into your thigh, into your bone. And so they were doing a CT so they could guide that needle into the, the right uh, section. And they couldn't find any cancer. Yeah. Uh, they called the doctor and said, well, we can't find anything. Do you want us to go ahead and do it? And he said, well, yeah, we need to do it just to see. So they did the bone biopsy a couple weeks later. They called me and said, wasn't anything in my leg. Yeah. I couldn't find any cancer. So a few weeks before that, saw cancer in your prostate, saw cancer in your leg, and then now they don't see anything. And uh, I remember you were telling me, you, or you asked this question, you know, could the urologist and the radiologist and the hematology oncologist, I can't even spell all those things. Uh, you know, did they all make mistakes? Did every single one, or was I healed by God? And, and so what do you think now, Mike? I think I was healed by God. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're not out of the woods yet, though, because you still have cancer in your prostate, and you still have to go in for surgery. And uh, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I had to have my prostate removed, and... Uh... Since I was healed by God, I decided to give my, give my life to God. Um, uh, so if I live a week longer, a year longer, 50 years, I'd you know, live for Jesus. Uh, I knew I was in good shape when I was in the holding area before surgery. And the surgeon come in and prayed with me. Oh, the surgeon did. He asked me if it's all right. And he said, I always like praying with my... Uh, Patience. I said, well, yeah. Because <laughs> I started crying, but it was because he touched my heart. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you were telling me, too, that uh, you had different music tastes, but uh, one of the things that happened was um, you actually found a Christian CD, and um, you uh, went ahead and, here, I'll get it for you. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, you got a CD. And what was that CD? Uh, it, was, uh, it was Jeremy Camp's CD. Uh, I listened to it the night before surgery. Um, the day before surgery, I, I wasn't scared or anything. I just felt a calm come over me. And, and why do you think you weren't fearful? I think Jesus was already with me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I listened to the CD, and one of the CDs was Give Me Jesus. And uh, it says, uh, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have this old world, give me Jesus. So now every morning I get up, and I'm like, give me Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Mike, your story is so powerful, and it's been so great to uh, see you come to church here for the first time. and. Remember, you came to our house for pizza with the pastor, and uh, I thought that was going to be an every week thing. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the first week I came, and it was pizza with the pastor, and I thought this is great. Yeah. Every week you go to the pastor's house and have Papa John's. All right. So on October 26, if you want to come, you can come then. Okay. Don't come before though, because all we've got is tombstone. Um, but uh, and you accepted Christ. I baptized you this summer. Uh, I know you're praying for co-workers all the time, and uh, you brought your, your family uh, to church and to the Lord, and, and I just want to give you kind of a last shot. Um, there are some people out here who, um, you know, they, 
they might not believe in God at all, or they have very little belief, or um, you know, maybe they've just kind of drifted away from God. And uh, I just thought, you know, here's your free shot. What would you say to them? I'd say turn to Jesus or, or return to Jesus if you've, if you've left him. You know, don't wait till you get cancer. Excuse me? Because uh, look at me, I'm a walking medical miracle. And now I realize God's got a plan for my life. Yeah. And I want to be on that journey with Jesus. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike, you did a great job. We love your family. Uh, I love you. And uh, let's all give Mike a hand. Well, you know, uh, the Bible uh, says this. It's impossible to please God apart from faith, belief. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. So God says, hey, if you believe that I exist, if you believe in me, you approach me, you turn to me, you seek me with all of your heart, I'll respond and I'll meet your needs. And that's the story of Mike's life. As he drew closer and closer to Jesus, you could just see that as he gave himself more to him, that he learned more about his love. And you could see what Mike said, which I think is so powerful. He still had to go in surgery for the prostate cancer, but at that point, whether I lived a week or a month or 50 years, I was going to give my life to Christ. And Jesus responded to his needs. And stories of others, stories like Mike, make me realize more and more why I believe in God. And I just want to ask you this morning, what's the next step for your story? Is the next step for you maybe to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a chance. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to make church a priority in my life each week. For others of you, it might be baptism. Mike got baptized this summer. On Thursday, we're going to have a baptism class at my house. You could come and be a part of that. And for some of you, you see God, you have a relationship with God, but you're not in a community. And Taste the Community is coming up where we're going to be a part of small groups. And you guys need to be a part of one. That's how you grow. That's how you see God from the right end of the telescope. Well, here's the final reason why I believe in God. And it's the story of me. It's the story of me. My story. Chris Bunch's story. The way that God has changed my life. You know, some of you know that I was raised as a PK, a preacher's kid. And being a PK, uh, we talked about God uh, in my house a lot. And uh, at the age of 12, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of my life, and uh, I was baptized. And um, when I got baptized at the age of 12, I'll put a little stick person down here. Uh, this was me, and I'm 12, and I'm, I was a happy kid, so I'll give myself a smile. But I was 12, so I had a couple pimples. So uh, I'll put those on there too, okay? And I'm down here, 
And I think to myself that God is way up there. And what has to happen is, I think, that the only way for this God, who's way up there, to love me, is I just have to do a lot of right things. I have to do all the right things all the time. And so for six years, I was on that path, trying to do all the right things. And uh, I decided there were some steps to doing the right things. And the first step that I took was, I decided that I needed to not sin. And so I got rid of sins in my life. But no one told me, like, what's the quota for sin? Like, you know, can you do 10 and you're okay? Or 9 or whatever. And so each day, I didn't know. So I just tried to sin less, you know? Tried not to say a cuss word or tried not to do this. So I just tried to do, you know, less sin in my life. And I realized that that was good, but I probably needed to do more than that. And so I started to realize I needed to love people. And I thought, well, if I have to love people, does that mean I have to love all people? You know? I mean, I had an older brother. And I'm thinking, it's hard to love my older brother, you know? And do you have to love everybody? Do you have to kind of be this living love machine? I love you. I love you. I love Jesus and I love you, you know? And I didn't know. And so there was one more step. I thought, you know what I really need to do is probably be a part of a lot of religious activity. And so I started going to church, you know, as a PK, you had to go on Sunday morning. But I went Wednesday night, I went Sunday night, and I went Thursday to the choir practice. Can you believe that? I sang in the choir. I was horrible. But, uh, you know, being the PK, sometimes you can do that. And I prayed before meals, and I'd read the Bible every once in a while, and uh, I just did, like, all of this religious activity. You see, what I thought I had to do was I had to kind of build a staircase up to God. And uh, I did that. And, you know, that gets tiring. And I got exhausted. And when I turned 18 and I went to college, I tried to do this, but it just wasn't worth it. And so I rebelled against everything, and I went down to what I call the basement of my life. And I started partying, drinking, smoking marijuana. I went and uh, caroused with all kinds of different girls. I never knew a lot of things that happened on weekends because I was out of it. And that was my life. I was down here in the basement, and I was like, man, if i got to do that for 70 years, dude, I can't make it, so I might as well just enjoy everything now. Then I met my wife, Jennifer, and she kind of let me uh, back into a relationship with God, and she said, you know, let's get back on the track. And so I started sinning less in my life when she and I started dating, and I tried to get rid of the drinking and smoking marijuana and all this kind of stuff, and just tried to be faithful to her and to her only. And we dated, and then we got married, and then I thought, boy, I need to get more love in my life, and so I started doing that. And I needed religious activity, and so I went to church, did all kinds of stuff, and I was in everything there could be religious-wise on our campus at Manchester College. And finally, I even became a pastor at the age of 22. 
And as a pastor, man, I'm thinking, you know, I'm close to God, but you know what? I started feeling exactly like I was way down here again. And then I just had to do all of these things to get to God. And then when I was about 26, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I went to a a spiritual retreat weekend for men. And it was there for the first time in my life I learned something. God didn't expect me to go upstairs. God came downstairs for me. Just Chris Bunch, he decided to come downstairs. And the Bible says this. It says that Jesus came into our neighborhood and he moved in. In other words, Jesus came downstairs. And this is the way it happened. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to planet earth in a manger in a city called Bethlehem. And we call that Christmas. And then, as he got older, he became a teacher of men and women and children and the outcast. And he taught in ways that no one had ever taught before. He loved people like no one had ever seen love before. He reached out and he healed people and he fed people and he resurrected people from the dead. And people looked at him as this wise person that the world had never seen before. And then, when he was 33, he came down and he went to a cross and he died upon it for me and for you, for all of our sins. And what happened was, Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to cancel your sins. I'm not going to remember them anymore. In fact, the Bible says this. It says that as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed the transgressions, your sins, from you. And God throws all of the sins in our life into the sea, into the ocean, and he doesn't remember them anymore. In other words, when you believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, he cancels your sin. And then all of a sudden, he gives you a bigger heart to love. It's like when we had Jordan, I thought, is there any way I can love her more than I love my wife? No, you know, God does it, it just gets a bigger heart. And the more of you that have kids, you learn to love them more and more. God expands your heart. And the cool thing is, when God does that, he says that I'll love you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. God draws you to love so that you can love other people. And he says if you do this, you'll be connected to a local church because it's the only hope of the world. It's the only way that you can get connected to God because he comes downstairs for you. And I'm sold out on the jar. I give my life to it because I know what Jesus Christ did for me. God came downstairs. He came downstairs for you and for you and for you. And he says, I'll take you right where you're at. Right where you're at. I'll take you.
Bible says this. Just taste and see that God is good. And my question for you today is, do you need to take a taste? Do you need to try? Do you need to just say, I'm going to quit this upstairs madness that never gets me anywhere, and I'm going to say, God, I believe that you came downstairs for me, and I'm open to that. And today, Isaac and the band, they're going to come up, and they're going to lead us in the closing song that Mike talked about called, Give Me Jesus. And what we're going to do, we're going to sing that song. I'll invite you to stand up, and you can be a part of that. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, don't wait, because God came downstairs for you today. And if you've kind of drifted from God, you kind of had your basement experience, and you're wondering if He would take you back, I can tell you from experience that He will. And you can switch the lens of the telescope and you can begin to see God in a larger, bigger way in your life. And after we sing the song, I'm going to say a short prayer and then you guys are free to go. You can leave, no problem. But if you'd like today to turn to Christ and taste Him, or if you would like to return to Him, I'd invite you guys to come up and after we sing this song, Isaac and I will be here to pray for anybody. And I just want you to know that we're only going to ask one question. And you don't have to say anything if you don't want, but we're going to ask, tasting or drifting? And when I say tasting, what I mean is for the first time in your life, you said, you know what, I'm ready to taste and this particular person who went to the cross just for me. He came downstairs just for you. And if you say drifting, we'll know, hey, you've drifted away. You've been in the basement maybe for a little bit. And you're ready to kind of drift back to God. You're ready to return to Him. So, are you tasting? Are you drifting? And if you're like, you know what? I'm neither of those. You know what I want you to do? I want you to pray that people would not leave from this place without making things right with the God who came downstairs just for you. Let's sing together.